Welcome to the Dick and Ham Show, episode five. We have five five men on the line. And we've got it's Andrews. pretty presumptuous that people are in fact coming back, David. We have multiple bits of feedback this week. You're you're unlikely to probably start at this episode, though, Ranch. Like if you've made it this far, you you've got to have listened to the first couple and then you know gritted your teeth and, and bared it. Yeah, if you've made it this far, you've got your questions that you should be asking of yourself. We ask those questions here, Dave. Yeah, that's what we do. It's uh, brought to you this week by Snake Gun Two for iPhone and Android. Every week, every week, you're pushing this this crack. I got a new slogan: Snake Gun. I'm pretty sure it's still on the App Store. <laughs> <laughs> that's my slogan. That's it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's, and it's a yep. it's a pretty good game if you're not into games and you've got nothing else to do. That's my other slogan. I'm surprised you haven't just plugged it like you know all the US you know kind of truck ads do just saying it's bigger than everything else it's heavier it's more to download it, it is heavier it's very heavy did anyone else actually actively beta test that thing like i you know stupidly agreed to did anyone I else in this it. group it's a good game andrew it's, it's quality a lot of my my legitimate not purchased from russia feedback was very positive <laughs> you, sent it, you sent me a couple of pre-published, you know, pre-App Store sideload uh, little files, and I, I ran it a couple of times, and I notified you. My first piece of feedback was, "Yeah, gameplay cool, everything's great. There's simply no way to exit it apart from rebooting your phone. So yeah. if you could put in a quit button, that'd be great." <laughs> yeah. Andrew, from memory, what you said was was that it was buggier than the Amazon. Your words. So. <laughs> Hey, we don't bite the hand that feeds here. Uh, it's okay. Thank you, Mr. Bezos. Someone's getting a bad edit this week, Sam. It's it's usually Andrew that gets the bad edit. <laughs> it's usually Andrew because Andrew spends most of his time just just needling people and and you know throws off the balance if if there's if it's just all needling. If, if we're if we're all you know smiles and 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 happiness, it, it's we're not going to hit the mark. It's not going to climb the ratings. You know the charts. No, it's very it's very true. But, Boots is standing up. He's not committal. Is Boots, are you deciding whether or not to be part of this? <laughs> oh, I've, I've decided. Is one of our is one of our one of the guys on this call drinking Fanta? Is that what I'm saying? Is that Fanta? Where is that? Is that a euphemism? Who are you asking? The guy with the French sounding name. What was the 1.25 liter <laughs> bottle you had in your in your hand just a moment ago? You know who I'm talking to. <laughs> 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 what was the that? There, we are. there the, we are. There we are. Yeah, yeah. See, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Apologize. Yeah, it looks like the the guy behind the counter in the Sharper Image store is drinking Fanta. <laughs> Sharper Image is that still around? I don't think it is. I've got a feeling that that's that's gone. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I think it may have have fallen over. Wasn't that? Is that the store where Trump was was pushing those stakes? Wasn't that through the Sharper Image? I think the that was Trump an independent, independent stake venture. The was sharper it? image was where you could buy just expensive but useless stuff, like one of those plasma balls that you could put your hand on and look like lightning was coming out. Massage of chair. Yeah, yeah, Matt, that's exactly right. Yeah, it was the sort of thing kids would want to blow their money at. Like if, uh, what was that Tom Hanks movie where he turned into an adult for a bit? Big? Big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, was, it was where you'd shop if you're Tom Hanks. Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> yeah, don't. don't. Live research assistants are working with us on the show this week, as you know, Dave. And uh, no, fact-checking here, Trump stakes are discontinued, uh, but exclusively sold through the Sharper image. Oh, well, congratulations. Now, I have, speaking of fact-checking, Andrew, I have a question ah. for you as, as our tech aficionado slash oh. mag- magnate. Who's the current <laughs> CEO of Google? Is it Sandar Pichai? Pichai, yes. yep. Yeah, I believe so. so. Oh, no, or is he the CEO of He's CEO of Alphabet. Alphabet. Okay, well, same thing, same thing. The guy who runs yeah. the company that runs Google, you got a bone. You got a bone to pick with him. Oh yeah. So as you know, we've got is a it lot a hand of bone. Yes, it is. As a matter of fact. Mm. So as you know, there's a lot of listeners who who love our show. They listen to it on Spotify. They listen to it on various other platforms. The one platform yeah. that that has not accepted us is Google. Google Podcasts, a very popular platform. Very straightforward to submit your podcast. It takes five minutes. And so I did that a week ago. And now when you talk to Google and you ask it to play the show, you get all manner of things, none of which are the show. So for example, the, the closest thing you get to our show on Google is a gentleman by the name of Dick Haynes. <laughs> or Hainesy. Yeah. So I'll just give you a bit of Dick Haynes. Okay, Google, play Dick Haynes. 
playing Dick Haynes on Spotify. So they're fine to play Dick Haynes. This is Dick. Well, that's that's. Soothing. I don't mind that. That's a soothing. It's got a good beat. It's like a Bing Crosby nice. vibe. It is nice. Okay, Google, stop. So look, no disrespect. If the five of us got a barbershop, you know, quintet thing going, I reckon it'd sound just like that guy. Look, no disrespect to Dick Haynes. He was very successful during the war. He he didn't go. He was he stayed home while everyone else fought. He was oh, uh, he was married married feather. married six times. He he died at the age of fifty nine of lung six. cancer. He obviously smoked a lot. He uh, you know I mean his filmography is impressive. I got no I got no problem with Dick Haynes. He was in Tennessee Champ. He was in Don't Give Up the Ship. Last Train from Gun Hill. Support your local sheriff and support your local gunfighter. Boy, you um you went you went deep on our you know, yeah, you did. Say, didn't you? On Dick Haynes. So Dick Haynes is all you get and, and I just fear that we're losing out on traffic that we could have had. And and I, I blame I blame uh yeah, Google personally. Is, it, is there a chance that Google somehow vet or QA the quality of the, of the stuff before it goes online? It's an artistic choice. Mm, yeah. They definitely uh, have a quality score when it comes to advertising, that is that is for sure. It's true. For, for content, I don't, I don't think so. But the, the first things first, feedback-wise, a little bit of feedback. Shout out to our old friend, uh, the real deal, who listened for the first time and said he was very enjoyable. Uh, he said he listened to two episodes. The Hebrew Hammer. Not all of them, though. That's interesting. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, hey, Sam, I don't, I don't think we need to worry about Dave giving you a bad edit this week. <laughs> yeah, this is so, so, so bad edit. So we've got a shout out to him because it's great that he's listening out there. A few local shout outs uh, to, to Ed Binks here in Oslo, who's, who's interested in the show suddenly because he loves Takeshi's Castle and he liked the, the throwback. On your Binksy. The, the, yeah, Binksy. The one to talk about is our old friend, Trent, the bomb feeding sack of shit rat poop. So he wrote, he wrote to us. Part of the letter will not be read out loud. So that tells you just, even by his standards, there's things in here that are dubious. So here it goes. To the mm. Dick and Ham Show team. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Some topics I would like you to discuss as a collective. And, and look, don't get excited about the topics. They're, they're not great. One, is Alistair Clarkson cooked and should he coach again next year? Personally, what? I think not. Pawthorne are predictable. Mm. Point two. Essendon are nothing without Dylan Shield. Discuss. Does he, do this, do you think this is the real footy podcast? What does he think we're doing here? He doesn't understand. Three, how much would you pay for a St Kilda membership during a pandemic? Four, who is more entitled <laughs> out of lawyers and stockbrokers? It, it, oh, so it's, you know, these, are, these are very targeted, okay. these comments. Yeah, yeah it is a target, more targeted yeah, than the Google. Five, yeah. why is there no gender equality on this show? And lastly, and this is the controversial part. If the Dick and Ham show can make up that Andrew is a knob t-shirt, send me a photo of his wife wearing it. And I will donate $200 to Hughes, not Andrew's, nominated charity. Stay safe, gentlemen. Trent. Yep. So, well, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot to unpack there. A lot to unpack there. But jokes on him regarding the barber with me in the t-shirt. I mean... Not married, no wife. I mean, you got to rephrase that trend, and he knows that. He knows better than that. So, uh, yeah, no deal. Although I will happily donate. What do you say? What do you throw on the line? A hundred bucks? Two hundred. If if two hundred. Uh, if Izzy Wolf, <laughs> you pumping up those prices? Would show me that letter. That's six times the meet the medium income of where he lives so far. Ooh. Well, it's because everyone over that side of the the bridge uh, camp. <laughs> Uh, works well, in one of those abattoirs, got... you know, the clusters. <laughs> I was going to say, they're pretty much responsible for the shit we're in, so. Mm. Excellent. I will happily, just so we're clear, I will happily donate $200 sans T-shirt to Ranch's favourite charity. That's absolutely fine with me. It's very good of you, Andrew. That's uh, it's, it's, it's manly. We did. You, can just, you can just send that straight to Windy Hill, uh, Andrew. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So we're saying Trent is responsible for what's going on with Melbourne. Is this day one of, of mask mandatory wearing, or has that already been? Oh no, we're all we're all pros at it. Yeah. And how is the how is it making and wearing masks? Uh, you know, some people I know Ranch has, has been wearing it for a while in in public scenarios. I've I've done a bit of that myself. 
look, it's not great. It's, it's not great fun. Uh, hopefully it's having the effect that everyone hopes it, it's having because uh, that'll make it worthwhile. Did you buy one or make one? Uh, I've got several. I've got, I've got a box of like medical ones, courtesy of my non-wife. Ranch, you've been doing it for a while, right? Yeah, I was catching public transport to and from work there for a little while and um, at the behest of my brother a number of weeks ago, even before things really kicked off in Victoria, he was saying, you probably just should be wearing one anyway. So I did. And look, as Andrew said, it's not fun, but I don't think anyone's doing it for enjoyment. So I, I frankly can't get it. Not that big a deal. Yeah, no, exactly right. Like it's the simplest thing you can do and joke's been made a thousand times, but generations before us did a hell of a lot more, you know, for the for the sake of the world and the community than wearing a fucking piece of cloth on their face. And so it's not really that hard. How about everyone just gets on board and does it and don't wind up on fucking viral videos and bunnings. Yeah. Just as an aside, Ranch, what why why were you having to go into the office? Like what was the what was the driver? Well firstly it was before um, you know things got things got bad uh, and the driver was, you know, I work in an industry that's been fairly heavily affected by, by the whole pandemic. And so we were um, having to let a number of people go. So just, we wanted to be available so people could kind of, you know, have that meeting in the environment that made sense to them rather than being at home or, you know, wherever they happened to be, they had the choice of coming into the office. So we wanted to be there too. No, fair enough. I just, the, uh, I find it interesting, which, which, industries actually went back into the office during that that you know where where we appeared to have flattened the curve and and who who continued to stay at home and like obviously that your particular role had a good reason for for being available in person but it's just kind of it 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 was interesting which what sort of work went back and what didn't i was going to say you rely a little bit on well there's there's a a lot of um hands in that decision making because per some of the directives, you know, staff had the choice, you know, if they felt like they were going to be at risk or in an at-risk environment in the workplace, they could just flat out refuse to, to come. And so if, if, you know, for example, us, if we're in our floor on the building, that's fine, but you've got to get to that floor. So unless the building management put in the right protocols to even get you to the floor in the first place, people can be like, well, I'm not sharing a lift with, 10 other people so they can just go well unless that comes in i'm I'm not going well they did the analysis at 101 collins where i going to work and they couldn't work out with it two people per lift how if everyone came back into the office that was there pre-pandemic it was going to take uh until about 11 30 (laughs) a.m with people arriving at 9 (laughs) a.m to to get into the office so it was you know physically not not workable the only person I know who, I don't know if you were going in, Andrew, but uh, friends of ours who are sort of semi-autonomous in, in the business they own, like in a stockbroking field, for instance, or uh, another friend who's in a real estate business like that's sort of small enough that he can kind of do what he wants. Those guys were the only people I knew who were still in the office for sort of different reasons. So they were the only ones. Like, not many people have been going in, and I wonder if anyone is now, I mean, I would very much hope that almost everyone is staying away unless they absolutely have to be there. You know, for for our business, obviously, we've got some operational people who, um, you know, needed to be on site to, you know, to literally run yeah. the business. Um, but apart from them and like ultra, ultra critical people who just had to be on site, everyone else kind of stayed away except for a skeleton crew. You know, um, you know the odd person might come in because their home environment wasn't, you know, suitable for them. But in general, the place was was basically just empty for the whole time and that'll very much continue now for, for a long while. You know, to Boots's point, it's going to be, you know, fascinating to see how all this comes together. I mean, there's going to be a staged approach to, you know, people just being kind of willing to come back into the, into the office, perhaps wanting to come into the office. You know, at our workplace, we're lucky enough that our, our building is, is ours. There's no one else there, so we could kind of control that a bit more. But to your point, Boots, like that, that's, that's fascinating at 101 Collins. Like how would you stage manage that? There's a, a a logistical problem that that's not solvable by having two people in a lift at a time. So, yeah, yeah. There's also a lot of other funny stuff. Like Will was saying, how I don't know a lot of random rules. Like, all right, for cleanliness' sake, we you can't use the microwave, but you can use the toasted sandwich maker. And we had put hand sanitizer out on each floor, but the people stole the bottle, so that's not out. That's not out anymore. 
but and then we want people to come in and we don't want them to catch public transport so we want you to get in other ways but then we've shut the, the bathrooms where you can get changed and have a shower if you do ride your bike in because they're not safe and so there's all these sort of weird things that people are trying to work through whereby every time you do something, it actually kind of makes it worse on the other hand, you know? And so I think, and in the end, it's just too hard. And they've basically said, we're just not going to be able to do it. So everybody's yeah, just My brother-in-law just, just started a new job, which I reckon that's hard when you start a new place and you, you need to develop rapport with people and you just don't ever get to physically meet them. Uh, and look, one day he will, but for the first however many months, he's just never going to actually do any type of, you know, physical face-to-face meeting with those people. I think that's, that's hard. And I wonder how long it'll be until you, you know, you may work six months with these people and never meet them. But I mean, maybe that's not a big deal. I mean, when you work with freelancers and things, you often do a lot of work with people and you, you know that you're never actually going to physically meet them face to face. Well, though, perhaps to your point, Dave, like, for example, at the moment, we've currently got our vacation clerks with us, which is they basically got sent a laptop, they got sent a computer, um, taught how to log on, and now they're kind of joining us and you know, trying to get them involved in meetings and stuff um and i just i feel so sorry for them um, because i just don't know how they're going to or how, how you would sort of properly represent yourself in that in that scenario no it's uh it's it's tough there's all these soft skills that are suddenly are much more important like how you project through a video conference which people used to care to an extent but suddenly it's all you got and so Buy a good microphone. You know, don't be that person who sounds. Don't be that person who sounds like shit. Like it sounds flippant, but you know what? After a while, if there's one person who always sounds like shit in a meeting, I don't understand. Is this is this is this genuinely? I thought we cleared this up during the week that everyone's sound was actually pretty good. Yeah, we did. No, no, I actually did mean what I said. It's not. It's not just a dig at Sam for for not sounding good. It was um, <laughs> the the way. Like no second example. Like our house is not that well set up for constant video conferences. And so, is that is that tasty, Boots? That's all right. Good noise opening the drawer as well. <laughs> the timing of that was absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah, everyone sounds really. <laughs> you have to tell it what it was now. Is it is it a is it a Snickers bar? Is it a is it a no, no. carrot? What it's is a, it? Uh... That's a white chocolate. Hey, Boots, just so you know, this this is radio, not TV. You can't just hold up a thing. The audience <laughs> needs to have it described to them. No, we're streaming it, Andrew. Everyone's watching. Oh, live stream. Yeah, delightful. <laughs> live, live stream. Yeah, yeah, put your so what he's done on. is he's held up a actual roast chicken to the screen. <laughs> and a cardboard cutout of James Hurd's cock. The whole chicken down his throat in one go. I can't believe that. I wasn't expecting the word cock. I really wasn't expecting the cock part of that. I was expecting the James Hurd part, 100%. (laughs) But the other part, wasn't expecting. Wasn't. So we'll work out what to do with that in the edit. (laughs) Question on him, though. Serious question. What what is James Hurd up to? I know there was obviously a tumultuous ride. He's he's actually got got into podcasting. Is he really? Is it, he got into, he, there was a podcast on the Essendon website in, during lockdown that had him, Joe Watson, and some other guy. Wasn't the other guy Xavier Campbell, the CEO of the club? <laughs> yes. Some other bonehead. He's trying to make it relatable for people who aren't Essendon fans. I, I get it. <laughs> is, has that podcast finished? He is. Yes, and well, now, and uh, you, you may or may not know that his son has joined uh, Essendon. How long was it meant to go for, the podcast? Just just during the pandemic until the relaunch. It was okay. 10 weeks. Right, okay. What were you starting to say about his son, Boots? Oh, the son has joined Essendon as a Category B rookie. Okay. Uh, had, had previously been playing as a professional soccer player in the Netherlands. Really? Mm-hmm. Came back uh, now on the uh, the Category B list and already has an avicular fracture. So he has those uh, herd genes. How, how was he in the Hoogan Bandon League? Was he good at football? Was he at the round ball game? Well, well, he came back to play AFL, so probably not that good at soccer. <laughs> Don't know much about the Dutch League. I did meet a lady working at a, a, like a craft shop who both of her sons were playing in that league and she described it pretty casually. It was like they were deciding whether or not to take a job at the pub or to play in the top level of Dutch football. No, I, I think... No, I I think the Dutch football national team is very good. They they play a brand yeah. of total football, and they, they they're very good. But I don't know about the domestic. Okay, just side note, Dave. How 
often are you getting into lengthy family, you know, the livelihood discussions with women behind the counter at craft shops? Uh, we're on fam. Thanks for asking. On a family holiday, when you've got to burn through a lot of hours with two young children, you know, more often than you think. Okay. You, you've got to burn through those hours. <laughs> you know, fickle. As you remember from your times in Europe, sometimes just everything's closed. Sometimes it's a Sunday and there's nothing to do. Uh, some, this was a place called Flom, which boots you went there on the train, and you'll attest, having gotten off that train, that there's not a lot there. There's sweet FA to do on that fucking train station. There is nothing, nothing there. Lovely, like Flom itself is really lovely, but um, you know, after a while, like, well, we got 48 hours here, and like, I like going out on the on the water on the boat or going on the train and everything. But did you spend 48 hours in Flom? <laughs> Boots, Boots is incensed by that choice. The Flom's the one at the bottom boots. The the straight the station. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, think under, of is, um, I understand. The one people complain about is Mirdal, which is the one before that, which everyone stops at, and that's literally just a train station that doesn't even have a coffee machine. But actually, I, I don't understand how you could spend forty eight hours down the bottom unless you're getting on a freaking cruise. And if you're if, if you're getting on a cruise ship right now, fuck, you deserve anything that happens to you. Well, it's a, di- a different type of cruise. It was uh, you'd be incensed by this just because it was an electric cruise ship boots. Oh, left wing. <laughs> powered nonsense. by powered by our own sense of self-satisfaction, Ed, Ed Begley style. Yeah. <laughs> powered by intellectual snobbery. <laughs> Andrew's gone. He just... It's fueled by, a, uh, by oil money since the 1940s, but anyway. Yeah, it's a, tra- it's a transition that's going on. You know, it's a transition. You've got to reskill those people gradually. You know, you've got to get off the money gradually as well. You don't want to just cut that shit off. No, you don't want to turn the tap off, so to speak. No, no, you don't want to. So Andrew's gone. Andrew had intrigued me. Maybe he's got some notes. He intrigued me during the week by saying, I've got a bit I want to do about board games, which was the last thing I was expecting him to say. He just we, he just got one. I did. Is, is I did. that what this is about, Andrew? Did you go to get your notes on board games? Yeah, it was, um, it was a funny thing that came up and... It wasn't initially COVID specific, but obviously to, to amuse the kids and considering they're at home almost the entire time right now with homeschooling and lockdown, you've got to find stuff for them to do. And so Isabel, in all her uh, wisdom, started just ordering a few different games online. And we'd had a game for a while that I always found the name funny uh, because it was a clear knockoff. And she'd gone and, and bought a bunch of, of games online and gotten them at absolute bargain basement prices and wondered why. She's like, yeah, the, the prices of board games have really come down. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, I don't know how they're getting away with it from a commercial point of view or, or a legal point of view, but um, yeah, they're, they're just extreme knockoffs and the quality is incredibly low. And her, her mum used to work at Games World for a while, one of those, you know, outlets that, that sells predominantly board games and Rubik's Cubes and things. And um She's like, oh, I've got this Monopoly. I've ordered it online. It was 17 bucks. And I'm sure that mum used to sell these for about 75 clams. And it turns out it's because it's like the, the non-union French, you know, senior Spielberg equivalent <laughs> where... Donopoly. Yeah. yeah. Monopoly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's still the same layout. It's the, the description on the back is, this is the same game as you normally play, but it's, it's our version so they they they're completely open but it about it. Doesn't name Monopoly specifically. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't name Monopoly. No, no, Monopoly. no. The game, like I'll hold okay. it up for the for the viewers, but it is it looks legit, but the um all of the stuff is just a, like twelve or fifteen percent wrong in places. Like instead of instead of in the corner where he normally says just in jail, this one says in in jail. You're like I. Okay, what's the what's the extra in in for? And then all of the normal train stations have the names of the parks instead. So everything's just like misaligned. Like they didn't just QA the board before they started printing these things. So that I found that funny and it reminded me we had this other game that we've had for quite a while. There was a clear knockoff of the game Guess Who, where you flip down the faces after you you know you ask questions. Instead of guess who, it's just simply called who is it. <laughs> <laughs> so then, then sounds like a, a Norwegian translation. Yeah, exactly right. Shark summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. So, uh, so, so who won at Monopoly? You couldn't play all of the, like the chance cards were for the Brazilian edition, even though this was the knockoff French edition. So none of the chance cards lined up to any of the spaces on the board. <laughs> <laughs> like one of them, even though it says like one of the, one of the locations to buy a property is like Champs de Lisay, for instance, you pick up a chance card and it says, go to Christ the Redeemer. You're like, what? <laughs> Hold on a second. What is going on? Not here? possible. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, the kids, the, the real winner was, you know, Parker and Adams or whoever the bloody guys who make the board games are, because they're clearly probably getting a slice of these. Crown and Andrews. Crown and Andrews brothers. or the Parker brothers. Yeah. Milton Bradley. Is that another one? I, I got something re- related to that, Andrew. I, uh, you remember from the first episode of this podcast, I talked about how I get hustled once per holiday. Mm. Well, well, it happened again on our on our Norway holiday, but but I was expecting the hustle because or? it was at a no, it was at a carnival, and so you know when you go to a carnival what you signed up for, and you just expect it, and you kind of know it. But I, this was one of the more crafty, like the the hustle with the basketball ring that's been squashed so that the ball doesn't go through it, but you Classic. can't see from front on, like that type of thing. I, I know about all that stuff. This was a new one I'd never seen before. Right at the end of the concession stands, there was a guy just sitting there waiting for, you know, waiting for a pigeon like me to come along. He's like, hey, you like cards? And I'm like, oh, here we go. He's like, hey, you like playing 21, bit of blackjack? And I'm like, I didn't say this to him, but I love playing blackjack. It's my favorite game. And I'm like, this, this could be good. So are you coming. But I also, I take my, I take my blackjack reasonably seriously. I know, I know blackjack is such a simple game that, that all the possible permutations of what you have and what the deal is showing, there is a, there's a correct move for every possible permutation. And I know all of them. So if you get good cards, I can play blackjack as well as it's physically possible to play it. Talking and, of a big anybody, game here, David. Fucking yeah, no, I, I do. <laughs> no, but it's it's simple, right? If, if the dealer's showing a three and you're showing a seven, there's a, there's a specific thing you should do in that situation. Or you have a seven and a ten. You, you, you know there's one thing there's the right thing to do. Anyway. And what's the right thing to do in the, that circumstance? The, the, Vegas, the Vegas guys are going to have your picture up everywhere now. Yeah, yeah. If we had any listeners, if we had any listeners, people are going to be writing in next week. In Blackjack, you should assume that the dealer's card you can't see is a 10, and you should assume that the next card that's coming out is also a 10. The dealer's showing a 3, that means they've got a 10 underneath, which is 13, and the next card's a 10. So you should just sit and do nothing. What you should do, if the dealer's showing anything between a 2 and a 6... You just sit. I mean, if you're under 10, of course, you can take a card just for fun, but you don't risk it because they'll likely have 12, 13, 14, 15, or 16. They have to take another. It's likely a 10 and a bust. Anyway, that's the basics of, of, of what the rules are. So anyway, I go over to this guy. Or, or, or math, as it's otherwise known. Thank you, Boots. So this guy is sitting there. He's like, hey, you want to play some blackjack? I've got this cool thing where there's a piece of cardboard and you like open the flaps like kind of Christmas calendar style and you see what card it is. And if you get, to, you know, if you get close to 21, then you win it. I'm like, hey, that's fun. And of course, he sells like big sheets that have like 50 different tabs. And you're like, I can't lose here. And so I start opening little tabs. And then at first hand, it's like, oh, okay, it's like a two and a two. That wasn't very good. It's only four. And the second one, it's like, oh, okay, it's a king and a four. And I'm not getting that close. And then you get a bit closer. And then when you just think you're about to start winning, you lift up the tab and there's like a picture card that's just some new one that doesn't exist. He's like, oh, that one. Yeah, that's the, uh, that's the bread maker. He's worth 16. So you busted. Because <laughs> you had a 17 and a, and a hamburglar. <laughs> and the hamburglar's <laughs> worth 40. <laughs> and you don't know any of this until you start playing. And he's, they've just literally invented their own picture cards, like 10 new types of picture cards. Like, oh, yeah, the bandit, he's worth 55. And you're like, that's that's nonsense. The game, the game is... <laughs> is, is anyone surprised by that? It's not a casino. He's not regulated by anything. <laughs> uh, look, I'm surprised by the boldness of going that far with it. Like, just cheating a bit, you expect it. But just, like, completely inventing a new universe and then expecting you to adhere to it, that, that, takes, that takes boldness. It's true. It's like the Simpsons periodic table. <laughs> when they're just, just inventing new whatever's... What are they, Dave? Uh, it was, I think it was taken over by like Pepsi, and so it was like, <laughs> the element of like flavorfulness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, deliciousness, deliciousness. <laughs> Did you guys ever see in America this um this woman was controversially denied her graduation at university because in the yearbook she put as a yearbook quote all of these periodic table symbols, and if you translated them back to the letters that they applied to. 
it just said, um, fuck bitches, get money. <laughs> it's creative. Does it actually, does it actually work? Yeah, it does. Cause you can be like, you can be like chromium. Is that a thing? Chrome? I don't know. Yeah, chromium. Yeah, sure. alum, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever things are on Label the table. Hey, what do I know? What am I? Scientist? Yeah, exactly. Pepsi, you know, metal things. Chicken salt is one. Yeah. Chicken salt and water. I'm sure <laughs> that's on there. Yep. Uh, well, she shouldn't have been denied her graduation. I mean, she, she represented the truth. You know, that's, that's, if that's a real thing. I guess her science professor didn't, didn't dig biggie. That's all. Oh, yeah. He's more of a two-pack, two-pack man. He's, a, he's an East Coast guy. Yeah. <laughs> she was denied her graduation uh, because of that? Um, I'm freestyling on the repercussions, but right. it, was, it didn't go down well with, the, with the, uh, the college or high school even, it might have been, that she was at. I think her friends thought it was awesome. But like a couple of guys busting into a yearbook and writing something offensive on someone's quote, they didn't think it was that funny. We're skirting around the edge. We're getting to a wax wings and sun situation here. Let's just uh, fly back to Earth, boys. Mm-hmm. It's easy, does it? So Dave can just beep it out anyway. Yeah, I can. I can. And if something's not funny, you can beep it, and it's people just assume that maybe it was funny. So that's, Sam, it's a crush. The, the concern for all of us is he'll always have the master tapes. So you know, <laughs> the masters. It's yeah. true. It's like the guy who's got the apprentice tapes, where Trump's just dropping in words left, right, and yeah, center. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mark Mark Burnett. He he owes the world those tapes. It's yeah, he owes the world a lot, really, after what he Ooh. what he did. One board game recommendation, Andrew and others. Mm. I went on a cabin trip and this Danish guy, Rene, shout out to Rene, listens to the show these days. Does he? He brought a game Does called, called t- Tumble and Dice. Tumble Dice? Tumbling with no G. So it would have been tumbling with a taking the G off in a hilarious, uh, you know, relaxation of grammar. Tumble and Dice. And it's, you basically roll three die down a cascading thing of wood and each platform is is like a multiplier but the thing is then the next person rolls their die and they can knock yours off or they can knock it into a different multiplier zone so it has a bit of the lawn bowl style knock the other person's thing off but it also has this sort of multiplier thing so they can make your score higher or make it worse seriously fun game excellent can't recommend highly enough to to quote the famous swanee phrase point of the game point of the game is to fucking have a higher score than the other person, like the point of every other game. Okay. Well, okay. Boots is with me. He knows. Well, I think golf, you have the lower score, but I guess relatively you could say that you were right. Isn't golf an exception, Andrew? Isn't basically every other game ever about getting more than the other person? <sighs> I don't know. Convictions? Boots, you're a lawyer. Do you want more convictions or less <laughs> convictions? Depends what for, Andrew. Like my theory about the guy who killed Williams for his LinkedIn resume, like that was an extra conviction, but it was 100% worth it for him. Is that a, li- is that a LinkedIn segue? Because we could spend about four hours on that cesspool. <laughs> Just wanted to set, set that up for you, Andrew. Thank you. I mean, what to say about that? The, the introduction for the, those who aren't aware is there's a character who photoshops or perhaps takes an actual photo of himself pointing at a laptop and the laptop has your own company's website on it and he's pointing at it in a slightly passive aggressive way saying hey uh found your website i've just been looking at it but maybe maybe you could be communicating better and you should talk to me about it and he doesn't seem to doesn't seem to let up andrew what what are you going to do to get Same rid of guy him? or different guy because the other guy emailed me too remember yes no this is a new guy the coffee the coffee guy hit me up too this is a new idiot yeah, no, I've had the laptop. Is the same coffee guy? No, no, the, the coffee guy was the same one for Sam and I, but this this today's laptop guy, I've had a couple of laptop guys before, but then this guy's just taking their, that shtick and, and, you know, using it as his own. It's, uh, it's an incredible attempt. I, I don't know who he thinks that would appeal to on, on the face of the planet. Mm, I was thinking about this earlier this afternoon. I was just like, who's going to be... A, bothered by the fucking LinkedIn request, open it up, see it, and then go, actually, you know what? He's gone to such effort to kind of make this creepy. I think I will reach out to him. Yeah, no, I think I will. I'm definitely going to fucking see what he has to say about how I can do my business better. Thanks, laptop guy. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's not really well. <laughs> and it's, it's written in a way that is applicable to literally anything. It's like, well, it's I couldn't help but notice that the thing you do is quite hard to explain <laughs> to the layperson. And you could say that about almost every single thing that exists in business. Um, and also, with the job that you, you know, the, the, the operation you run, Andrew, I don't know if you want to explain things to the layperson. That's kind of not the point. Isn't it a business-to-business 
product offering that is not related yeah, to like definitely b2b and in which case part of the point of the sales process is going at lengths to explain to people it's how you how you get any kind of work so yeah it's uh it's an insane attempt by that particular individual Fuck, you know what do i want to it may appeal to other parts of the market i don't know but linkedin is uh, unfortunately especially during COVID, turned into an absolute mire of of knobs it was bad before but it's, it's even worse now Andrew, Andrew and Jeff Bezos just rocking it. How is Jeff? You've been speaking to him much? Jeff's good. You know, he's a pretty cruisy character when you boil it all down to it. He just likes making more and more money. And uh... is he still is he still in the rocket game? There was yeah. a, there was a sort of an Elon Musk Jeff Bezos rocket thing going for yeah. a while, wasn't it? Yeah, there's well, as in a, ro- a rocket off. Jokes aside, it won't be news to anyone here that Jeff Bezos is wealthy. Um, but. Did you guys realize that he's just jumped up after a couple of solid months in the stock market to just 180 US billion? Yeah. And that's Did anyone noticed that it's just it, jumped up from the, like a minute ago, he was like, it's insane. He's got to 100. It's just jumped up to the 180. And I'm pretty sure he gave away half of it last year to his now ex wife. He did. That's true. So that's, it, his net worth is more than all of Australia's banks' market caps put on top of each other. His. Boots, what what do you make of that? Is there a point at which it's just not obscene is the wrong word, but is there a point at which it, it, it you've kind of almost broken the game when you have that much money and, and you should either yourself or you should have some type of regulation to do something about it? Do you think no. fair, fair game, if you want to make $700 billion, you make $700 billion. Uh, there, there needs to be a, a regressive tax system, which unfortunately the US have, yet to master but the uh it there doesn't need to be any uh sort of personal limitation in that respect i mean you can make the argument that some of these companies are uh, creating monopolies uh that are artificially being propped up by the trust stack in the us but not but not really and when, when i say that i mean that that there is the equivalent of our ACCC, which they, they call the, the antitrust legislation, which tries to ensure that you do have a competitive industry with at least X number of players. But there, there's been exceptions and and that's been chipped away at for, for so long. And in Microsoft, the classic example of the company that uh, you know, had to pay a record, you know, $13 billion or something dollar fine that it, it had to pay for anti-competitive conduct which it just opened its wallet and said who do we make the check out to i mean it's just those uh, it, it, there's not an effective mechanism in the us for dealing with these companies when they get that big so there's been talk of breaking up facebook breaking up google or at least making alphabet split up google into different things but the, the issue is the consumer doesn't really want multiple choice for things like google like people are quite happy for google to be the one being where you do go to and find things because you know it's a sort of single source of information so it's hard to hard to see how antitrust law is going to uh, or, or sentiment to support antitrust law is going to is going to fix that uh, that problem i think the the, the bigger issue the, the the ability to tax those tech companies in in jurisdictions that they're not necessarily home based in which a lot of with Europe and Australia and others are grappling with at the uh, at the moment, and uh, that that's that's the thing that will potentially ultimately make these companies uh, give up some of their market share. Mm. Google was was fined an enormous amount over here for a tax minimization strategy of operating one office in Ireland, but functioning in all of the markets, but everything flowed back through Ireland, which was an advantageous thing to do, and eventually. Um, some country or jurisdiction managed to pin them for it and they paid a huge fine. But, you know, they, they have enough money that there's like, well, okay, fine, game's up and we'll pay it. I, I saw I saw that case. Though. I noticed that Ireland appealed that, actually appealed, like as part of the EU, appealed against the EU decision because Ireland obviously has set it up itself up directly as a tax haven. You know, something like 17% of their uh, all people employed in Ireland are employed by overseas tech companies uh at the moment and they've tried to position themselves particularly in the in the context of brexit as the uh the sort of hub the 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 tax hub for uh 
for tech companies. But I, I had thought that that decision was under appeal on the EU fine. Mm. Well, it, it may well be. I mean, and, and one thing in their defence, I mean, they certainly didn't didn't hide it. It was an open fact that they would hire mm. they would hire people here in Norway to work for Google or, or Facebook did it as well. So you know, I know someone who worked for Facebook Norway in Ireland. Back when they ran everything out of Ireland, like it was, you know, and and they just moved there and did their job from there instead of doing it from here. It's a pretty big problem. Like when you, the the tax schemes that are set up to be lawful are like, except for the fact that they're lawful, like they're a scam. Do you know what I mean? Like it is, you hear about companies that have an office in Australia, they're very profitable in Australia. So they borrow enough money from the US so that the interest costs on the money they borrowed from their US parent will offset the money that they've made here so that they don't make any money here. And then the money goes back. It, it just, like I said, it's it's legal because they've got a hundred people working on a way to make sure that they maximize their tax advantage and that's their entitlement. But it really is right. It, a lot of them are absurd, right? Do you know what I mean? Like when you hear about how they do these things, like they are absolutely on the absolute edge of this being tax evasion rather than avoidance. I almost don't want to know the answer to this next question, but I wonder what's happened to the companies that based their business model around low-cost countries. So let's say you've outsourced your entire customer support team to India, and now you shouldn't really be cramming 300 people into a 20-square-meter room to do a call center. I wonder what those companies are doing now. If you've, if you've built a business around having large numbers of people in a small space running a big part of your business and now you can't do it. Does anyone have any insights on how people are managing that? Yeah, look, some of our um, contact centers are located offshore and pretty early on actually in the, um, in the, in, in the whole pandemic, we kind of were affected by that just because, you know, some of those contact centers couldn't operate from their normal place of work. Um, for social distancing reasons, but then you know they could do their jobs from home. But then we, could, but then we couldn't kind of you know give them the right sort of cybersecurity clearance to be able to do that work from home. They only could only actually do it on site. So we just needed to stop utilising some of those contact centres and stuff too. So that was actually just a massive issue for us, um, you know, because we had some pretty significant kind of operational kind of issues to be able to you know kind of you know provide refunds to our customers and things when their when their plans change. So um, certainly for us, I mean, it created an issue, but we weren't kind of that exposed when compared to some others, I would imagine. You watch you watch how many hoops, Booze? They've started, hasn't it? Has it started? No, it hasn't. It, well, they've just started scrimmaging. They haven't even started what are called these the the uh, the, the seeding game. Okay, so started they've started having like intra team. Yeah, so they're they're in the they're in the bubble in Orlando. They're they're just playing amongst each other. They're then going to play eight games before the action. Eight games leading the playoffs. They're called the the seeding. They call them seeding games. The, the some interesting stuff in that they've decided that these games won't count for postseason awards. There's a couple of interesting wrinkles in that when they get to when you finished your eight games if you're within uh, I can't remember whether it's two games or three games of the last playoff spot you get a play-in game for that for that uh, uh, that last playoff spot which is literally they've come up with a system that might allow Zion Williamson to get into the uh, into the yes. playoff we'll see how that plays itself out but no, look as, as with any live sport I'm looking forward to it coming back I've watched a couple of scrimmage games that they've done as good a job as they can with the camera setups and the actual the way that those games are going to be covered they the courts look professional you know there's obviously no crowd but because they're effectively you know high school sized gyms you, you don't you don't so much notice the fact there's no crowd I mean it's just not a stadium stadium atmosphere but you know that will that kicks off on the 29th um, you know there's there's probably four teams that can can win it maybe five and you know after our um you know, kind of, you know, fairly kind of side-eye, cynical view of some of the American sports that we talked about the other week. It actually sounds like the NBA might actually be going okay here. I mean, like, even though they're in Florida, I think I saw there was zero positive tests from the NBA. Yeah, from the people who are, who are in the bubble. Yeah, that's correct. Except uh, I, will, I will tell you about Magic Lou Williams, who left the bubble in Orlando, went to a strip club and then came back into the bubble. 
got put, That's not and, great. It got busted because a, a rapper took a photo of him in the strip club. <laughs> Sounds bad out of context. Uh, That's so unnecessary. I mean, all they had to do was just set up a strip club inside the bubble. Like, how hard would that have been? Makes, makes much more sense. <laughs> Pre- presumably, there, are, there already are some strip clubs in Walt Disneyland, and they could have just been using those ones. But anyway, they decided not to use. They're pretty. They're make, pretty niche, make, though, Boots. Seeing seeing Mickey and Donald <laughs> on the pole, it doesn't do it for yeah. everybody. Nah, does it for me. Hey, Boots, can I ask you two I mean, questions? You call, yeah, you call it niche, I call it spot on. Two questions for you, Boots. First one, given the new um, short season MVP policy, question one is LeBron or the Greek freak? Who's going to win it? Uh, I, I think Giannis will win it um, because I think the, the majority of voters are, um, uh, are now more data-driven than sort of traditional basketball journalists and i think that case probably supports giannis i think something wrong with your audio boots when you say joe ingles it sounds like you're saying giannis yeah it's weird because i was definitely saying joe ingles. that's why i thought there was no awards because he just stitched them all up already and there was no point and all the rest no, of it's, no it's just a waste one thing on that that i hadn't heard the story about lou williams in the strip club and the fact that he got caught because someone took a photo. Has anybody seen the series about the guy who beat a murder rap because he luckily walked through the background of a shot on Curb Your Enthusiasm at a baseball game? Can you tell me something yep. about that? That's all I know. That's amazing. There's a there's a doco on Netflix about it, and yeah, is it called is it called Long Shot or something like that? It might be called that. I think the doco itself goes for like half an hour or something. It's not very long. Uh, but it's pretty fascinating. I think, you know, it's been a, probably about a year or so since I've seen it. But I think in general, and spoiler alert, skip forward for a couple of minutes if you want. Yeah, it was, it was a guy um, was at a baseball game. And for some reason, um, you know, he was kind of, you know, identified as being someone who committed a murder kind of at the same time. And he was, you know, saying that he was at this at this baseball game. There was no no evidence that he could kind of obtain to, to, um, to prove his innocence. They went all through like as many kind of tapes of the of the of the broadcast itself to see if they could, you know, kind of find, you know, any shots of him. And as as it turns out, the only footage that they could find eventually, and this is after, I don't know, however long kind of searching, maybe years perhaps, in his defense, was some B-roll footage that they had because Larry David just happened to be shooting like a scene from Curb Your Enthusiasm there and just on a B-roll or something, you could see him just kind of like sitting in a seat as Larry David like walked down past him or something. Wow. It's it's pretty amazing. Like, you know, you probably don't need to see it now that I've just told you that. Interesting. Just before I forget, when we're talking about about the documentary on Netflix, TV recommendation this week, I think I've already written it in our WhatsApp group, but Perry Mason, if you haven't been watching that, you need to be watching that. It's very, very, very good. You've got the guy from The Americans. You've got John Lithgow. You've got a woman who sort of steals most of her scenes was in this really odd Canadian production on Netflix called Orphan Black, which I didn't think was very good, but... She's fantastically good in this, um, and and just the way it's shot, yeah, she's great. and and the way they recreate that era from LA is super super nice. So, does anyone else have any any new things they're watching? I do. We uh, and it's it's not necessarily new because it's it's first aired in 2015. There's five seasons of it, which made it quite attractive. It's a, a French show called The Bureau about Director General of Special Services, the basically the French CIA. Hmm. Um, the I, I was all poised not to enjoy it, um, but I have enjoyed it. It's been uh, it's been uh, that's the spirit. Sub, subtitles, boots. Is it in French and it's subtitled? Yeah, it's uh, in French and subtitled, and they even um, it's it, it, they even subtitle it when they speak in English, which I find uh, hilarious. But yeah, it's an excellent show. With your French heritage, though, presumably you just flick the subtitles off altogether and listen in your native tongue. Or? Sure, yeah. As an aside, Andrew, did you did you know that you know um, Campbell Primary, which is down in uh, in Campbell Junction, we go on local is a is a is a French immersion school, and so if you send you if you're sending your kids there, which and we are in the zone for that uh, primary school, they uh, they speak French during the day. What do they do at night? <laughs> Difficult to say. I think the school's closed. So, uh, yeah. 
Uh, that's interesting. It's an interesting concept. I don't hate it. By you know, being bilingual, as Dave will will be able to attest to, is would French be the second language of choice yeah, in yeah, 2020? French wouldn't be the one I would choose. Yeah, my, my kids have a bit of Spanish at their uh, at their school, but it's not immersion. Like they just they get like an art class in Spanish or something. I think that's not uncommon. Spanish would be very good. Portuguese is yeah. deceptively good because of Brazil and a bunch of countries that speak it. Mike Patton. I don't think you're going to Brazil anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perhaps not. Well, you're leaving in a casket if you are. No, the bilingual thing. Our, our five-year-olds. <laughs> um, she's she's come a long way with her English, and um, it's it's nice. Like the kids here all get pretty good at it, but. I wanted, um, you know, until they're actually doing it, you're sort of a bit, not concerned, but you just wonder at what point will they be able to really have a proper conversation with their family in Australia. And she's gotten really good now. And um, so that's, no, that's, that's good. But as we all know, learning at a younger age is just easier. You know, you, you, you don't know any different. You just learn in parallel and you learn two different things and it's just, it's just easier. But just back, back one topic before it slips us. The, yeah. So the Olympics ranch that you were talking about, um, yeah, should have started this week. There's there's something I want to talk about in a minute. But what are you guys? Which Olympics is the first one that you guys remember? Eighty four. Yeah, eighty four. What, what do you remember from it? I remember Carl Lewis, and I remember uh, gold medals being just the fucking best thing you could possibly win. I remember like lining up in primary school. And like, you know, the teachers would just like you know, praise somebody and everyone would be like, do I get a gold medal or something like that? It was just, it was the shit. I don't remember 84. I remember 88. I remember the Carl Lewis, Ben Johnson race. Yes. Very yeah. clearly from 88. I mean, I'd love to know what the global ratings were on that, given that there was, everyone was in a situation with like two things on television. Everybody wanted to watch the Olympics. There was nothing else to do. It, it suffered a little bit from being in the Seoul time zone. Ah, uh, Yeah. Yeah. So the, the rate, I, I actually, I, interesting to say that. I, I did uh, a couple of years ago, I looked at, at, at all the TV ratings for the various uh, okay. uh, Olympics and, and, and worldwide. And Campy loves, loves the business of television. He loves the business of television. He really does. I, that's true, Andrew. I do love the business of television. But the, um, the, the Los Angeles Olympics still actually holds a lot of the ratings records from, uh, you know, obviously being, being in that. North American time zone, and you can actually still works for some uh, some parts of Europe. The uh, there's a few interesting anecdotes about that Olympics in the Bob Iger biography, um, the Disney CEO Bob Iger called Ride of a Lifetime, which is a it's a good read. Although arguably it's gone a bit out of date, given that he sort of finished it just before all this stuff, and then he ended up unretiring and all the rest of it. But uh, on the on the subject of the Olympics ranch, something that took your fancy, the Olympic marathon. Specifically, the 1904 St. Louis Olympic Marathon. Uh, I don't know if anyone else knows much about it, but it turns out it's a pretty wild race. Yeah, it turns out. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't know anything about it until you sent this article around this morning, Dave, so it's really your fine. But um, did anyone else read this article today? I, I did have a, yeah, I did have a quick read, but it's, it's, it's running folklore, that, that particular event, although there was more detail in that article than even I had heard before. So, look, Dave, maybe you can link to it in the show notes. Look, just a couple of highlights. It had 32 runners, multiple incidents of cheating, drugs, rotten apples, the president's daughter and some feral dogs. It was run on a a sweltering summer's summer's day. It had one drink station. Several people nearly died because of dehydration. The first guy to cross the line was a guy called Fred Lortz, who actually hitchhiked in a car for most of the race. One guy called Felix Cabajal de Soto, was a Cuban runner who raised money uh, to go to America to compete in the games. Unfortunately, he landed in New Orleans and uh, gambled most of his money away, had to hitchhike, presumably 5,000 kilometres, Dave, <laughs> to, to St. Louis to run for the marathon and, and turned up in a beret, leather street shoes and slacks. <laughs> what I love is that the, the one drink station was intentional because the conventional wisdom of the time was that water was not the thing to do and, and the way to get through a race like that was to take like brandy or, or like hallucinogenic rat poison. So a lot of them were basically poisoned by their <laughs> trainers. And then the ones that did finish were like carried across the line because they, they were just in a complete stupor. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy who won, Thomas Hicks, um, you know, had a, a speedball of fucking rat poison and brandy <laughs> and egg whites or something halfway through the race, which, which, uh, which, which got him up and going again. And but eventually, then also collapsed and was hallucinating. And his trainers picked him up and dragged him across the line. Well, the guy with the long pants, someone firstly, someone cut them into shorts for him at the start line because they felt sorry for him. Someone had some scissors, <laughs> so they fashioned them into short shorts. But he was actually a decent runner, but he got chased off the course by dogs and he had to take a massive detour. <laughs> yeah. But the wildest thing about that guy was that he missed his boat back to Cuba and they just, everyone just presumed that he was dead and they wrote an obituary for him and had a funeral. And then he was just somewhere else. And then a year he came back a year later. It's like, no, 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 I'm fine. I wasn't dead at all. <laughs> Well, I, I think my favorite part, well, actually I had two favorite parts. One was that a guy contracted food poisoning along the way, <laughs> eating an apple uh, because he hadn't had food in a couple of days. And it made I him think feel- I that was the Cuban guy was again. Same, same guy. And he, yeah. he, he felt so sick, he took a nap on the side of the course <laughs> and still came fourth. So I, I don't know how that happened. And the other funny thing was that the the whoever they decided was the the real winner, not the guy in the in the taxi, it completed completed it in three hours twenty eight minutes, which is roughly what I reckon Ranch could run a marathon in right now. So it, it just goes to show, you know, one hundred and twenty years of of athletic progress, we have made some leaps and bounds in, in performance. What's the furthest competitive race you've run, Andrew? You're you're a running guy. Do you do you do are you a ten k guy, a half marathon guy? What's what's your? Well, I think we've all done. Oh, Ranch has run a half marathon, haven't you, Ranch? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So half marathons as long as as I've you know bothered doing you know like a fun run or a competitive kind of scenario. I don't know if I could last a marathon. I think my knees would give way. It's double the distance. It's a long way. It is. It is a full marathon. He's in fact double the distance of a. Yeah, half the numbers check days. out. Yeah, they do. But yeah, interesting how much worse that time is. What does Kipchoge do it in two and a bit? Right, he did that that sub two hour. But generally, like two and a yeah. bit is is the best now, right? Yeah, he did it a, a tad over two at the last Olympics, and then uh, um, under two in that pretty fucking amazing race. Um, that kind of setup race with the, crazy um, shoes and with stuff. the with the with the vapor flies the other week. My God. Yeah, his running style, even if you don't care about running, which I, you know, I don't really care about it, but watching that guy run is, is almost like hypnotic. Like his, his fluid sort of style of running is so natural and stylish. You're just like, wow, look at that. It's one of the key things I was actually really looking forward to in the Olympics was watching the marathon. And I have not probably been that interested in watching a marathon before, but, you know, knowing that that guy was going to be out there and knowing what he can do and, and also just watching the end of that run that he did was was just bloody fantastic to watch and yeah so what so seeing him go around in tokyo would have been amazing and andrew he's he's getting old right like he but he's still going to be in frame to be what's it's it's all it's all relative ranch what do you what are, what are we what are we calling old these these days well oh, well okay put 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 it this way like in if, if tokyo goes ahead next year um, and obviously there's a lot of different factors that go into it. Like, you know, would we be excited about him potentially doing a sub two hour marathon at the Olympics next year in Tokyo? I think another year on isn't going to matter too much. If, if anything else, it, it lets him to get another year of training in. So at the Andrew and ranch, you might know the answer to this. Uh, I've obviously read the articles of when he ran the sub two hour marathon, but a lot of it was focused on, uh, the articles that I read anyway about the legality of the, the shoes and whether the, the technology in those vapor flies is something that shouldn't be permitted in Olympic or, or Olympic competition. Has there been any further developments on that? And what, what's the running world's view? There has. There are, in fact, now some regulations in that, like, the sole itself can't be thicker than, you know, a certain amount. The shoes themselves, in order to be worn, need to be available, I think, to be purchased, Andrew. I don't know whether it was prior to the marathon itself or whether it was prior to the opening ceremony, but either way, one Olympic related date, they had to be in general sale like a month or six weeks out or something. That's a bit dubious, that rule though, because having having worked for Nike and seen athlete products back in the day, at least back when I worked for them, the, the athlete product looks the same, but it's it's not, it's completely custom and it's a, it's it's called special makeup and it's, the thing you buy in the shop, like tennis is an even, tennis rackets is an even better example. The rackets that those pros use 
are completely customized based around the specs that they want and they bear no resemblance to what you buy in the shop other than a passing coincidental you know spec and paint paint jobs exactly the same most other things are very different it would be the same with those shoes yeah but like 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 with the shoes though i mean you know that basically boots there's been nothing to outlaw you know having a carbon fiber plate or anything in the sole like you know or or you know whether certain types of foams can or cannot be used so like to be honest like the, the ability for me to go to the fucking nike store and buy it really shouldn't have much of an impact at all on whether it's like able to be used in in competition i think you know the the, the bigger issue is that some athletes are sponsored by nike and some aren't and you know nike shoes in certainly in this example uh, the, the 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 feeling would be that they're just better than fucking asics or whoever else right so you know like it, I, I don't really know what all the fuss is about frankly but you're right there was a lot of fuss about it I, I think the idea is that if if one brand comes out with something that is dramatically better than the others, if there isn't a reasonable amount of time for the others to then the other brands and other runners to see it and make a decision about it, then it's it's like turning up to the America's Cup, pulling the the you know sheet off the boat, and there's the winged keel, and the Americans go, well, what the f- what the fuck is that? Is that even the rules? And then, of course, the, the boat race starts the next day, so you kind of you screwed. So, and they they did make some decisions about the the height of the foam that you're allowed in the sole and and the, the max of that. And of course, they just set the rule at whatever the shoes that Kipchoge was wearing. That's the max, so that everything's cool. What they've got to do is stick with it and not do what swimming did, where they allowed those full suits. They were clearly faster. Everyone broke all these world records and then they walked it back. And now it's just like this confusing thing about the world. The fastest swim ever was this, but that was in those suits. And I, I, I think there's a decent chance that that could happen with this. I honestly do. Do you remember how ridiculous Kathy Freeman looked when you watch back on the, the 2000 Olympics? She obviously won that race, which was awesome. But like, and I guess she was looking for every advantage. But boy, oh boy, that suit looks just, just completely absurd. When you look at it yeah, now. That, the hood. It really does. It looks ridiculous. Yeah. All of this this is my slow way of getting towards a question about another sport. I am, in a way, given that we're all getting older, becoming our parents, basically, I've started to play golf. and It was okay. You know, I enjoyed it actually more than I thought it would. So I've started reading a bit more about golf. Do professional golfers hit the ball too far? golfers now will you have to change the ball or do something with professional golf or is it a non-issue the the distance these guys can hit it now and data point on that bernhard langer at age 62 drives the ball 15 meters further now as a 62 year old than he did when he was in his prime no it's because he's so wiry and ropey he's a he's a he's a mess of of canodded steel bernard and he looks so angry all the time I'll tell you what, he, he, he destroys the uh, seniors tour every year. He just flogs those guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he's painting the, the walls red with them. Uh, no, golf, it, that's a, it's, a long, it's a long, long discussion, that one. But it, there's been talk for years. Every time new technology comes out, they can hit it further and guys are getting stronger. The issue is they either have to make the courses longer or do something about the equipment or just agree that everyone has to keep getting fitter and stronger and using better equipment and they just watch things happen strangely enough the scoring the scoring overall hasn't changed heaps um exactly. they just cut the they just cut the greens a bit faster um yep. they, they add bunkers to the course they lengthen the courses that you know if there's room on the on the property where the course is they can put the tees back to add length so They've been combating it for 50 years as technology's improved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to say, like, at its core, it's not a game of, you know, distance. It's a game of accuracy, really. Um, you know, obviously being a bit closer certainly helps. But, you know, I, I can't, like, with, with so many golf courses around the world, like, you know, built on land that they have available to them, like, you know, making, you know, the courses longer, I just don't think is, is realistically going to, you know, kind of happen that much more than they already have and i just i don't know walking back the technology is not going to work i don't think it's the same as the shoes or the rackets or whatever we we're talking about before it's as long as everything's available to everyone and everyone's got the same opportunity for the same kind of advantages it all comes down to the person and how talented they are and how well they use the tools available to them so it really applies across all sports mm. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, Tennis managed to find it's a completely different game to what it was, but that's other than the demise of the volley. Um, everything else or in the tennis dun- has, the Dunlop has evolved volley. Way. Yeah. No. Thankfully, they're still available, uh, which is great. So if you want a pair of volleys, you can you can get them. I don't think they're made by Dunlop anymore, but someone owns them. But no, if you look mm. uh, on one of the, the Alibaba volley, yeah, the uh, someone showed the Pat Rafter Goran Ivanovic Wimbledon final. So that's nineteen years ago now, and just the way they were playing, or even if you watch the same year, the two thousand and one uh, Sampras Federer match at Wimbledon, the only time those two ever played, possibly the best match ever played. The amount that they volley is staggering and now because of maybe not so much the rackets but just the strength of the athletes you you can't really serve volley you just don't physically have time you just can't um, and and that that's a shame in every other way i think it's fine but the fact that you don't there's a couple of exceptions that go with dreadlocks called dustin uh, i can't remember his second name who serve volleys and wins which is really awesome but he's one in a million now um, and, and that's a shame and and why why did the volleying go away, Dave? Is it just like they uh, just hit it too is, hard? Is serving just kind of so, so, so yeah yeah just so yeah you don't have time you, you don't have time to get in yeah. and 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 people's return of serve. I remember when Agassi came and he was like revolutionary how good he was at returning the tennis ball. Well, everyone's way better than that now um, at returning the ball. So you just you just have no legitimate chance of getting in in time unless you hit the perfect serve or the perfect approach shot. You're just going to get past, and it doesn't. Yeah, to, to, to Dave's point, like the, the the analytics on serve volley, as analytics sort of make their way into every sport, just suggest that it's just not the way. It's just not the efficient way to play to win boys. It basically just means that points are over quicker if someone comes in with the net. Yeah, it's it's maybe a surprise tactic now, and it, it works as that um, to break it up. But as a, as a, like that's my thing that I do. I, I don't think you're ever going to see it again. And, and that's probably the one shame of, of the evolution of, of that sport because it's variety that's gone. Like it was super cool when there were people who would come in all the time. Like if you look at yeah that that Sampras Federer match, or even if you look at Pat Cash winning Wimbledon back in the day, like it was cool to see people volleying, and you just don't, you're not going to see that anymore. But you know that's progress. Well, shit, eh? I think I think we should get close to wrap. What time is there? It's eleven o'clock. It's bedtime. It is. Oh, bedtime. Bedtime for some. Sam and I have got a, uh, a podcast straight after this. We're double booked. Oh yeah, w- which one? Yeah, it's uh, Michelle Obama's. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God. Yes, yes, yes. It's been enjoyable as always. 